Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Let's start with the obvious, the emerging coronavirus continuing to disrupt day-to-day lives for so many around the globe. It's not just tennis fans feeling the impact, sports being canceled, whether it's the NBA, the MLB, the NHL, NCAA tournament, but even at a more personal level, jobs are influenced at this point, different restaurants, different uh, service industries, even non-service industries, so many offices being closed, so many schools being closed amid concerns about spreading the virus. And look, we know that's going to impact everyone's day-to-day lives. That being said, we wanted to provide you here at Cracked Racket some sort of comfort throughout this process. And that's why we want to continue to crank out the sort of content that you tennis fans have expected from us to, to provide you that thing to do if you're struggling, you're dealing with anxiety or whatever it may be. We are hoping we here at Cracked Rackets can be some sort of output to give you a brief reprieve from all of your ongoing coronavirus concerns. And that's why we wanted to shift gears a little bit on today's podcast. We had the chance to sit down today with former UCLA All-American and co-founder of the MyTennisHQ.com website, Austin Rapp, to talk about the fantastic things going on at their new website, MyTennisHQ. It's him, former UCLA Bruin Carousel, as well as former Pepperdine standout, uh, uh, excuse me for the pronunciation here, Guy Hadlich, uh, who have started their own tennis website that gets into the instructional aspects of tennis. They talk about things as small as the adjustments you can make on your forehands, on your backhand serves, the uses and employments of different service stra- of different tennis strategies like serving and volleying, or the nuances of the bump backhand return, and even things as small as you know gripping your racket or what strings, what rackets should you, you be using as a recreational player. We at Crack Rackets obviously uh, are trying to perform a new type of media, trying to give you guys different sorts of content than you're used to from the tennis world. They're doing the exact same sort of thing here at My Tennis HQ, and that's why we are really excited to be collaborating with them moving forward on today's podcast. Austin talks about all of the sorts of things, the founding principles behind My Tennis HQ, why they think uh, it will be a different sort of instructional podcast, instructional content than you tennis fans may be used to. So we talk about that. We also get into our brand new segment that we're going to be doing every Tuesday. We're going to call it Technique Tuesday, where we talk about an article on My Tennis HQ, explore a specific part of the game today. We talked about the role of mental strength, of being strong, you know, how much of the game, there's the platitude that tennis is at this point 20% physical and 80% mental, and look, I'm not going to try and put a specific number on it, uh, but we talk about the importance of mental fortitude, mental strength, the role confidence plays in a player's game, and it, it was a really fun conversation, so can't emphasize enough how fun it was to have Austin on the podcast. Also got to explore his brain about his time, uh, pick his brain about his time 
time at UCLA. He got to play with one of my favorite personalities in college tennis, Keegan Smith, his senior year. Uh, they made it all the way to the NCAA doubles semifinals that same year. Their teammates, Martin Redlicky, Evan Zhu, actually won the doubles title, so they got two teams into the final uh, two rounds. That's obviously not something you see every year. So we talk a little bit about his time at UCLA, his time on the pro tour. We also, at the end, do explore Austin being a guy who's top 700 in singles, top 400 in doubles. Uh, We talk about how the coronavirus affects him moving forward, and he talks about the uncertainty he faces, knowing that there's going to be at least six more weeks of him not being able to play tennis, not being able to earn a paycheck, and how he plans on adjusting to the, the circumstances. And so it was a really enjoyable conversation. I do also want to take a quick second before we get into the podcast to plug some of the other content we've got going on at Cracked Rackets Night right now. Again, we we are trying to provide you guys some sort of comfort, some sort of distraction from the worries, the day-to-day worries that I'm sure we are all feeling with this coronavirus. So be sure to go check out our website, CrackedRackets.com. We also just released our newest video segment, Overserved, looking at some of the unintentionally comedic parts of the game week in, week out, some of the highlights from tennis Twitter, all those sorts of things uh, that make our sports so enjoyable to follow that you may have missed. So we've worked really hard on that video. Super producer Daniel Westhoff has put so much time into making it, you know, cutting out all of my cringeworthy jokes, making me look as good as possible, as he always does. Uh, so we spent a lot of time. Would really appreciate it if you went and check that out on YouTube. You can also find it on our Twitter accounts. Uh, but again, really fun conversation. So for now, enjoy my conversation with my Tennis HQ founder and former UCLA All-American, Austin Rapp. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us on today's podcast, he's a former All-American at UCLA and one of the co-founders of the new website, My Tennis HQ, Austin Rapp. Austin, welcome to the Cracked Interviews podcast. Hey, Alex. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Oh, of course. It is my pleasure. It's my goal to work through all of the 2010s UCLA, USC, Virginia rosters. So again, I'm just one step closer now with this interview. (laughs) Um, so the place I want to start uh, our conversation today, as I mentioned, one of the co-founders of the new website, My Tennis HQ. For our listeners out there who haven't heard about it, who haven't heard how it got started, what's its goal? Can you give them a little bit of a rundown? Yeah, so uh, started My Tennis HQ. Um, Guy Hodlich, he played at Pepperdine, and Carew Sell, he played at UCLA with me. He's two years older. Um, they started uh, My Tennis HQ about six months ago. Um, and then I kind of hopped in with them a couple months later and we've just been trying to roll with it and put content out. Um, it's a platform that we try to put information out for just beginner tennis players to advanced tennis players. Really, you, our goal is to put things out that you can find anything, um, whether it's how to grip a tennis racket or how to serve in volley or 
how much of tennis is mental, anything uh, really we're, we're trying to put out there. Uh, we have a YouTube, um, Instagram, and a website. So we're, we're just trying to get that rolling. Absolutely. And I, we had this conversation earlier when we spoke before this podcast, but for so many tennis players, uh, who, particularly those who play at the college level who go on to professional tennis, uh, you know, you, you have a lot of a lot of time on your hands. And so, you know, tennis has been such a big part of our lives. You know, I didn't even play college or professional tennis, but as a lifelong tennis player, it's something I wanted to stick with. I I knew it, you know, regardless of once I was done with college entering the professional world. And so can you sort of talk about why uh, you think my tennis HQ can help those out there who, whether you're a recreational player or, uh, you know, someone as advanced as the pros, why a, a, a website like my tennis HQ is needed? at a time like this? Well, I think that uh, Karu, Guy, and I all have experience at uh, a high level. And, you know, you see a lot of uh, websites out there that are a little bit gimmicky, um, kind of, you know, your your club coach, which nothing wrong with that, but um, very, oh, if you do this, your forehand will be fixed. If you do if you toss it this way, your your serve is going to be just like the pro in, in 30 seconds, you know. And when you play at a high level, you realize that that's just not the case, you know. You see players like, uh, you know, Medvedev, he's five in the world. And, you, I mean, you watch him play and you're just like, how in the world is this guy five in the world? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And I think that that's somewhat of the mystery of tennis, you know. Everyone, there's a million ways to string a basket. Right. And, uh, you know, that's, that's part of the mystery of tennis. You can, you, everyone has their own way of doing it and their, their road to success. So we kind of try to incorporate that and, um, you know, that that's kind of our philosophy. I'm glad you mentioned things as little. And by the way, you were a little bit modest. I would argue you, Guy, and Carew are more than just pretty good. Uh, you know, you guys uh, <laughs> obviously played at a high level. And so I think for so many in tennis, and you see various instructional podcasts, or again, you can go to YouTube and you're like, hey, I'm not feeling my forehand. I want to YouTube how to hit a forehand. And so many recreational players do that. And you're right, uh, to use lack of a better term, it's sort of a cluster. It's like you can see mm-hmm. so many different options and you don't know, is this guy legit? Legit. What am I really watching here? And so let me just say from my perspective to get to see three, you know, recently former college turned professional tennis players uh, just on its surface level. That is the sort of person I would rather be learning from. But can you explain how you guys make it less stuffy? What, you know, what makes your product different? You, you sort of talked about the, the nuances you guys go into of why, again, My Tennis HQ is a more specific, more, you know, nuanced based product than just your standard uh, instructional video or whatnot. Yeah, I mean, we go into every YouTube video or every article with the idea that, look, not everyone plays the same way. Um, so part of, you know, you'll see in our articles on our website or our YouTube is we have a little section on a lot of them that says, is this for you? Um, you know, Carew, one of the first articles that he wrote on there is the bunt backhand, you know, that Nori and Kyrios hit it sometimes and mix it in, change it off pace, whatever. Obviously, it works for them, and you know I don't think it would work for a lot of people. But uh, <laughs> he he found, and we found that it's worth writing about. Um, you know, it, it's things like that. My forehand is much different than Nadal's forehand. My forehand's a lot different than Carew's forehand. Um, so that's that's kind of the idea behind 
what we're talking about when we write these articles. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, no two players games in tennis are the same. And how many times over the past 20 years have we seen professionals who, you know, commentators or whatever analysts will comment, oh, that looks like Federer's forehand. And it's really not. No two players trips are, are <laughs> right. no two players, anything are exactly the same. And for players, because you can speak to this level of, you know, you guys are ridiculously good. And it's just really, really hard to make ways in the professional circuit. So it can you talk about how how difficult those adjustments are, how minimal, you know, incremental those adjustments can be between a guy who, like you, is, say, ranked top 700 in singles and top 400 in doubles versus the guys who are top 100 or top 50. The margins are really thin, right? So every little thing counts? Yeah, I mean, the margins are thin. Uh, and obviously, in my own game or, you know, any player at my level, we're, we're all tweaking things that we can improve on. Um, to, you know, try to achieve our goals and, and get to that point. But, you know, I'm realistic with myself and I know that, okay, I'm never going to hit my forehand like Roger does. So, because if, if that was the case, you know, when I was 16, I would have started reconstructing my forehand to look like Roger's. It just wouldn't work. Um, but that's, that's one of the things you learn as, as you go on through this journey. And we're just trying to kind of put that out there. Yeah, and we used the term when we were talking earlier, stuffy. A lot of the tennis instructionals, just a lot of the old age media, with all due respect to anyone who's not, Mm -hmm. you know, our age, uh, it's just not, it's not communicated well. It's so traditional. It's so, as you mentioned, at a country club, and it's like, well, I'm not playing country club tennis. I'm going to my local park, or I'm going to my local whatever, just to get my hour of hitting in. Can you talk about why, and because that's one of my favorite features of what I've seen on my Tennis HQ, is just the attitude you guys present. It's, it's, so different from anything else I've seen right um yeah so we I mean kind of how Carew and I had been talking about this for a while and we we saw that you know you go on YouTube and you click how can I improve my forehand how can I hit a better forehand and all these guys put this video and it's oh take it back here or um you have to hit it this way and there's little gimmicks you know oh if you're serving knock the birthday hat off your head, things like that. Um, but the game is really transformed, and it always will. You know, it'll transform from what it's at now. Uh, I was working with a, a coach at Carson a little bit, and we were talking, and uh, he was a good player on the tour. And, you know, a quote that he told me that stuck with me is, if I knew everything I knew now, I would have been a much better player back in the day. Um, and it makes sense. The, the game changes and you, you learn and get better. So we're trying to kind of incorporate that modern way of, way of teaching tennis, I guess. Um, no, a lot absolutely. of the, the, the thing is, and it, it's not to their discredit, but a lot of these uh, coaches out there now that aren't around the high level, they're not coaching the high level players, maybe pros or college players. They teach what they were taught. And, you know, if you have a coach that's 50 plus um, years old, he's going to be teaching things that, uh, you know, were taught in the 80s that could be completely out of the game by now. Um, So uh, hopefully we have a younger perspective on it and we're, we're trying to stay as as modern as we can. 
That's a really interesting point because, you know, I grew up with someone who, uh, my coach was someone who played college tennis in the 80s, who played pros in the 90s, and mm-hmm. the game is not the same. And can you talk about that adjustment? You know, what is, when? because I'm sure you've had some high-level coaches, the one who comes to mind, obviously Billy Martin, I think, when you were there as well. Grant Chen was the assistant uh, at UCLA, two of the best tennis minds in the game, certainly. Um, but what maybe is a mindset that you think, you know, what differences in the game, and again, that you guys try to emphasize that maybe weren't previously uh, accentuated by, you know, coaches or the older generation of tennis coaches? Well, here's the thing. I mean, the, the, what separates the good older coaches from the not so good older coaches is the ability to transform, right? I mean, you see it in all the sports, even in the NBA, these coaches like Popovich and the ones who have been around a while, they transform their coaching style to what the game needs now. Um, so, you know, don't get me wrong on that, where if I say, oh, you know, coaches 50 plus, they, it's not that like I'm saying, I don't know what they're, they don't know what they're talking about, you know. Um, I'm just saying the ones that kind of stay stuck in their ways, they we would hope that they transform their way of teaching. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, the, the game's changed just in, first of all, technology is huge. Um, the guys are hitting the ball so much bigger on the tour uh, than they were 20 years ago. It's it's not even the same game, really. Um, you know, the guys back back then were coming to the net much more, uh, more slicing, more, yeah, just coming forward. Now it's 40 ball rallies from the baseline, hitting the ball huge. Um, the courts have slowed down a little bit, so longer rallies, and it's just way more physical. Yeah, and I'm glad you used that term physical. And you're right, that the game has changed. And I'm glad you talked about, th- you know, you brought this up earlier. It was things as small as learning how to grip your racket. I'm going to be honest. I still don't know how to grip a racket. And is that a shortcut? <laughs> there you go. Me? Yeah, probably. But it's things like that. And as you go through the tour, I think another thing people don't understand, and even in your, even if you're just playing locally, recreationally with your friends, things as small as what strings you're using, what string tension you're using, you know, as you've gone about your career how important have you you know how important is that to players games how if you don't have the right strings and you don't have the right rackets it's just not going to bring out your best tennis right of course yeah those things are all really important and we read about those things as well because we know that um beginner to intermediate players are trying to figure those things out just like we were when we were younger uh and the the nice thing about us is we've seen so many experiences and we've uh, messed with so many things that we've learned from them and we're our goal is to put them put those things out there and make it easier for other people to learn those things look did you just qualify me as an intermediate to beginner player yeah but i'll take it i think that's <laughs> I, fair <laughs> i've never seen you play but uh the way you're talking uh, about yourself maybe <laughs> <laughs> well you know a wise man once said self-deprecation builds trust uh so i've learned <laughs> there just you, I, you know if i talk yeah, maybe down you're my just game being modest you're just being yeah. modest with me Look, the element of surprise is crucial to a lot of things I do. So, yeah, I'm trying to keep my game on the down low. Um, But, no, you know, you talk about messing around those things. I'm just curious. This is a little bit of a tangent. But what do you string your racket at nowadays? Because I've heard players are, like, in that 40 to 50 range. And to me, that's just nuts. That's loose. I'm at at 58. Um, Ah, I like that. Yeah. I'm tight. I, I like to be able to just trust the fact that I can swing out. But I'd say that's just about as tight as anybody's going 
Um, yeah, but I, I went, I ranged from literally in the forties to the high fifties in college. I'm just like, there you go. Experimenting, finding what works for me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and so that's the thing. It's a continuing work in progress, right? You continue to adjust to how your game has developed. Of course. Um, you kind of figure out what you need and, uh, what works for your game, what works for your mind as well. But, uh, it's a it's a balance of tinkering too much and reinventing the wheel. You know, um, you don't need to reinvent the wheel 15, 15 years into playing tennis. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I'm glad you talked about earlier as well about the the mental side of the game because so much of the time when you lose confidence or you're messing with strings and messing with different rackets, uh, that's going to throw off your rhythm. And that's why we are so excited again to be announcing our partnership with My Tennis HQ. I don't know, formal partnership, that might be too strong of a word, whatever it is, but to get to you know collaborate with you guys moving forward. And we're actually going to introduce a new segment today, uh, something we're going to be doing on our mini breaks moving forward today. It's going to be in our Cracked Interviews podcast, but something we want to call Technique Tuesday. So, Westoff, give me a Technique Tuesday sound effect, please. And and so, to get back to your point, to get back to the conversation, uh, you talked about how much of the game, it's not only the physical stuff, the little adjustments, but it, it's so mental as well, right? And the article I want to focus on today, and you can find this article on our website, CrackRackets.com. You can find this article as well at MyTennisHQ.com. Uh, I think it's just backslash how much of tennis is mental, uh, and that's how, where you can find the link. Uh, but for you, because again, you've talked about how good so many of these guys are, how big everyone's hitting the ball, how important, there's the platitude that tennis is 80% mental and 20% physical, and I think that's a line Carew uses in this article as well, but is that true? How much is that, you know, does that ring true the more tennis you've played, you know, the more professional experience you've gathered? Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to put a number on it, uh, and I think the number kind of varies between... Um, everyone, you know, if a club player masters the mental side of tennis, no matter how bad of a mental breakdown a professional player is having, they're going to win. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure, um, of course. But it, I think the, the main thing with the mental side of tennis is when push comes to shove and you're in a tight third set or a tight point in a set, um, are you going to be able to play your highest level of tennis? And that is those like you said earlier you know the the margins are so small between uh different rankings on the pro tour uh that's ultimately what makes a lot of the difference sometimes is those you know can you serve to stay in a set at four or five if you don't it's a routine six four set on paper um you know but if you can you're you're in the set you're ready to go and you're ready to ready to take that one so it, it it is a lot mental and um i think in Carew's article he he really did a good job talking about um, how much of a difference it can make uh, mastering that that mental side of tennis and it is a skill that you do have to work on it doesn't just come uh, naturally you know yeah yeah and you know for those who it does that's always going to be your biggest strength on the court of course but, you know for you uh, I think you're what six four six five depends on the type of shoes you're wearing and so I'm sure <laughs> as tall you know I, I've made this this is a little plug for myself I suppose but I asked Novak Djokovic this question the developing trend it does seem like players are getting taller and taller and you know that's as the game gets more physical you're just going to need to be a certain size but uh, you know for you I'm sure physically you know the tools you have how hard 
you're going to hit with the, uh, the ball. You guys can match up with anyone, but in your experience traveling around the tour, do you come across guys who you're like, oh my god, this guy can hit the cover of the ball, but there's just nothing going on up top? And like, is is that really be with the margins being as thin as we mentioned between players? How big, you know, in on the tour level, does it come down to? As you mentioned, those four or five scenarios. Can you tell right away when a guy just doesn't have it mentally? Um, I mean, that's the thing. You can't really tell right away um, because you, you don't really see it until they start playing the match. Um, personally, it's funny. I've, I've stopped. If I roll into a tournament and I see all the guys practicing that I haven't seen before, I can't analyze their game because everybody looks like they're top 100 when they practice, you know? Um, <laughs> of course. Everybody's ripping the cover off the ball, down the middle, cross courts. Um, everyone looks like they're going to win the title that week, and then all of a sudden – uh, they take a loss in first round qualies and you, you don't see him again for another week. It, it's really crazy um, how it works. Yeah, no, I, again, it, it really is. All of these players, I, I remember, and maybe these two are exceptions, but I was like, man, I have never seen anyone hit the ball as hard as Felix, Ogier Aliasim, and Andre Rublev. Mm-hmm. And obviously those are two of the better ones. So to a certain degree, yeah, they do hit the ball harder than anyone. Um, but it's certainly mental. You, you look at a Roger Federer practice and you're like, oh, this guy's not that good. I mean, he is that good. But you're like, this guy's <laughs> not anything ridiculous compared to all of these other guys on the practice court. And then, of course, he's been through every scenario. He's out on the court and he just is always comfortable. He can be down 1540 and he's comfortable fighting his way back. You know, for and that just comes from years of developed practice getting mentally stronger, but for those who are looking for tools or different tricks to work on their mental strength and again Carew talks about them a bunch in this article, but what are some of the tools you use personally to improve your mental strength to put yourself through scenarios in on the practice court or whatever it may be so that you're comfortable comfortable and ready to go come match time um i mean when i started uh playing on the tour i started working with a mental coach at the usta uh dr bob neff and he has a whole system uh taught me everything that i know about it and really his his first statement to me was look mental training is um it's a skill that you need to practice like your forehand or your serve so I, I believed him and I said, okay, let's get to work. And he has a whole philosophy. Um, zone five, you know, when, when you think of that player's in the zone, that player can't miss right now. He's, he's in the zone. Um, he has a philosophy that it's calm, confident, carefree, focused, and motivated. Those five things, if those things are firing on all cylinders, you're going to be in the zone. So he has ways that you can practice getting into all five of those things at once and um i don't think anybody can master it and i don't think anybody is going to show up on the court and have all those things at once every day it's not possible but um the goal is to get into all of those things as much as you can right that'll that'll warrant success as as much as possible yeah, absolutely. And I wrote that down. Calm, confident, carefree, motivated, and focused. Again, that's the little tidbit for you all here on Technique Tuesday. Um, but you know, look, we, we joke around. Our name is Cracked Rackets, and you know we like to focus on the unintentional comedy. Whenever someone cracks a racket, obviously that's going to get a laugh out of— uh, a laugh might be the wrong word, but it's entertaining, certainly. And you know, I, I'm never going to say uh, you should crack your racket, but every so often, you know, just destroying that racket on the court, it gets all of the frustration 
frustration out. And I'm sure you would argue, you know, that's not something you should ever be doing, right? It, it's building the good habits of even when you're at your most frustrated, you know, what do you, have you done to train yourself to get out of those lulls to, you know, refocus, re-energize and get yourself back mentally positive? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I have cracked one racket in my life. Uh, I'd say that, I'd say after playing 15 years, that's that's not a bad statistic no, to have on my record. <laughs> well done, as we say in another pod. Hey, great shot to you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, if you're about to crack a racket, your uh, zone of calm is probably uh, going down. So there's ways to respond to that, like breathing and muscle relaxation and just clearing your mind, things like that, um, that Dr. Bob has taught me and I've, I've tried to improve on. From the flip side, when you see an opponent blowing up, does that, you know, fuel you? Does, do you get energy from seeing that? And is that why, you know, maybe you, you would not want, is that a, that's a real thing, right? When you watch see sure. a player blowing up, it amps you up. Sure. Um, I mean, try not to focus on the other guy too much, but it, it definitely doesn't <laughs> hurt if it, if the other guy's going nuts on the other side of the court, um, d- I'm definitely not going to complain. That's for sure. <laughs> you can you can you can kind of see him start to unravel, and uh, yeah, that, that's not a bad sight to see. Which begs the question: How did you play a season with Keegan Smith? Talk about ups <laughs> and downs. Keegan is an up and down guy, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, great but, guy. Yeah, he uh, he was a freshman and I was a senior. Uh, I tried to take him under my wing a little bit. He. He's really matured in the last couple of years. Um, he really has. He came in as a goofy freshman who had no idea what he was doing. All I really knew how to do was play tennis, and he, he played it damn well. Uh, but I was able to share the court with him on the doubles court my senior year, and um, we did well at the NCAA individuals. And um, he's still he's still one of my really good friends. I keep in contact with him. And um, unfortunately, the NCAA season is cut short now. I was really looking forward to seeing what he could have done because I, th- I think he's or was one of the better uh, college players in the country for sure. Um, no, but you might be one of the few guys who actually has room in his wingspan to put Keegan under your wing. <laughs> yeah, we, we're the same dimensions, that's for sure. <laughs> no, yeah, I can only imagine. No, that, that's really fun. Um, yeah, I would argue, and again, big fan of Keegan, friend of the program, but yeah, st- he's still goofy. Um, so he's still definitely got his quirks to him. And yeah, don't get me happened. wrong; he hasn't he hasn't mellowed out all the way. But if you knew him, <laughs> if you knew him three years ago, uh, he definitely is a, is a new man. No, <laughs> oh, absolutely, and that's a testament to the hard work. And another thing Carew talks about is the the role of confidence. And even if it's you're not confident with your total level of play on the court, just knowing the plays you want to to turn to, whether it's the serve plus one forehand, or maybe you're a guy who has a better backhand and you like to grind backhand to backhand because it gives you the comparative advantage. How mm-hmm. important is confidence in your in you know playing professionally? And for you, how do you work to solidify your plays and you know what do you you know turn to the the things you know you do best when things aren't going right oh i mean confidence is everything uh any any player knows that if if you're confident you're not thinking about too much on the court you're trusting yourself it's uh you know it's all uphill when you're when you're battling your own emotions in your own head so uh when you're able to swing free there's no feeling like it um, no, but yeah, like absolutely. like Carew says, I mean, uh, just being able to trust those key plays and 
trust your own game and go after your strengths, that's huge. And that, that breeds confidence for sure. Oh, yeah, without question. And we brought this up on yesterday's mini break podcast. So just to do a little cross plugging for our listeners who listen to both. Uh, we talked about Novak Djokovic's start to his 2020 season. And uh, we made the case that I don't think, and I don't, I don't think it, anyone would argue this is the best Novak Djokovic we've ever seen. It's not 2011 Djokovic. It's not 2015 mm-hmm. in terms of what he can do physically, but it does feel like right now he's at his most confident, right? And it does feel like that confidence, and maybe it's also a factor that there are just some young players still working way their way up. They're not at that level yet. But it, would you agree that right now this 19-0 start to his season is more a bri- byproduct of confidence than anything else? I think so. Um, personally, I think the part of the reason Nadal, Federer, and Djokovic have been able to dominate uh, isn't their physical abilities anymore. I mean, they're they're kind of depleting before our eyes and breaking down, getting injured, but they're still beating up on everyone. Um, they believe they're the best, and they're obviously more talented and more skilled than the rest of the field, but to be able to bring it every single time you step on the court is something special. And that, you, I mean, Nadal, are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, his French Open stats are out of this world. You can't even begin to explain those. Um, but that's just him stepping on the court saying, I am the best clay quarter in the world and nobody can beat me on the dirt. Um, so all, all three of those guys have ridiculous amount of confidence. Now, the only proof we have that Rafa Nadal actually is aging is that his hairline has just been ravaged. That's true. Uh, That's it's true. Just, I mean, it is not pretty. Um, He'll probably yeah, be I, winning the French until he's 50 years old. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's ridiculous. I saw a stat today, and I think I retweeted it. Nadal has an over, I think it's like a 93, 94% winning percentage at the French Open, and it's not like it's only over the course of two majors, right? He's been doing no. it for 15, 16 years. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous. It's absolutely absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it's just crazy how much success he's had. Well, again, our Technique Tuesday today focusing on how much of tennis is mental. You can find that on mytennishq.com uh, and just one more time again for our listeners out there before we get into some other fun stuff to wrap this up, Austin. Um, and sorry for the pun there. Hey, great shot. Wrap this up. <laughs> and I have a question for that coming in a, in a second, but uh, can you tell our listeners how they can you know find your stuff and what you guys have upcoming? Yeah, so um, we have our website, uh, mytennishq.com. We have our Instagram at mytennishq and our YouTube at mytennishq. Um, We're trying to put up, like I said earlier, as much content as we can. And um, yeah, just go from there. You can find us there, like and subscribe on, on YouTube and Instagram, and then follow along on the website. And again, uh, for a little bit of a personal endorsement here, it is so refreshing. I mentioned this to you off the podcast, but just to, you know, we, we were hustling our, our asses off as well here at Cracked Rackets, and that is part of the grind of getting into tennis media and to get to see someone else my age. Uh, you know, I'm 24. You guys are right around there as well. Uh, do, in, put in the interest. Put in the investment you guys are doing. I can't endorse it enough. It's just, it's different. The, you, you guys are speaking our language, and it's just nice and refreshing to see see a new perspective on tennis and it's the various aspects there's something for everyone whether it's your forehand your backhand your serve even the little things again how to grip a racket so full-throated endorsement here that's why we are so excited to be collaborating with you guys moving forward and hoping to make technique tuesday a thing as well but since i have you 
I have to talk a little bit, both college tennis as well as your professional exploits as well. Um, since I brought up the pa- bad pun, I'm just going to get this question out of the way. Was there <laughs> any uh, thoughts in your mind any time you'd win a match in college, you just yell, that's a wrap, to your teammates? Uh, I haven't. I, I heard that a lot from a lot of people who, uh, throughout my life, but no, that would be pretty cringeworthy, I think. I don't think I could ever do that. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it'd be funny if someone else did it, but for you to do it, yeah, that would be uh, pretty Red, I'm Red sure you... Licky, Red, Marty Red Licky actually just started saying that basically every time I see him now, so uh, <laughs> thanks for thanks for egging him on. <laughs> no, that he's the king of the cringe, so actually yeah. that makes a lot of there you sense. Go. Um, exactly. Yeah, but for, yeah, for you uh, entering UCLA, and I believe you entered right after that year where they had Clay Thompson, Marcos Giron, healthy mm-hmm. uh, Gage, and freshman Mackey, freshman DiGiulio, Carew, uh, Adrian. You know that was Puget. Yeah. That was unbelievable team. Yeah, ridiculous team that they lost in the semifinals. After when we had Carew on the podcast, we talked about that for like fifteen minutes. Um, mm-hmm. But for you entering that environment because you were a five-star recruit and obviously mm-hmm. that's that's really 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 good um but what was that jump like for you to enter the college tennis world to get to go to that see that level and be around guys who played that level of tennis all of the time you know what was that adjustment like for you and then ultimately what did it do for your game oh i mean it was amazing um you know growing up i grew up in palm spring or palm desert uh, and I had a great coach out there who helped me get my game to where I could get um, with the environment that I was in. And then when I went to college, I had a bunch of people to practice with, high-level players, um, basically to show me how it was done. And, um, you know, I tried to be a sponge and take everything I could in. I still do. Uh, I'm, I'm still training around super high-level players. And like I said, just trying to be a sponge, take take everything I can in and – um, yeah, it was, it was unbelievable being a freshman at UCLA with, with that amount of talent on the team, uh, yeah. to, to be my, you know, competitors in practice and my, my teammates to, to battle with and my friends off the court. So yeah, college tennis, I, there's, there's not too much like it. No, it's the best out there. I completely agree. That's why it's such a shame that we are, you know, robbed of another season. Obviously, safety, health comes first. Um, but yeah, it's such a great product. And I will never forget in one of our interviews we did with Carew, he just put it simply. And uh, the question is about Mackie McDonald. And Carew's like, yeah, I remember just sitting there in practice and being like, Mackie, you are so good. Um, and I think coming <laughs> yeah. into college, it was maybe it was right before his freshman year that he got that qualifying win over Steve Johnson in Cincy. Mm-hmm. But did you know? at the time and I know Marcos left the year before but I'm sure he was I think he was still around as the volunteer as he was getting his hip surgeries and whatnot Do, mm-hmm. could you just tell right away that you know those guys are going to be you know pro players I think Marcos is now his career high is like 102 but could you tell like these guys are pros these guys are the best of the best I mean it's funny you say that when I took my official visit my senior year I remember sitting on the bench watching practice and it, it just happened to be that Marcos and Mackey were hitting with each other and I was just watching him exchange forehands cross court. Like, man, these guys can hit the ball. Like, I am in for some serious tennis if I if I commit here. <laughs> um, no, but uh, yeah, of course, Mackie's Mackie's a great guy and a good friend of mine. Um, really, really talented guy. He's improved so much since he left college, um, especially with you know the mental side of tennis. Like we were talking about, he's just matured so much. Um, but yeah, Marcos, Mackey, all those guys are, are really, really high-level tennis players, that's for sure. 
Yeah, and you talked about what being around them did for your game, but I know now you've had success, obviously, in singles, but your top 400 in ATP doubles. Was college tennis your first experience to, you know, routine, high-level doubles playing? Can you talk a little bit about, the you know, the importance of playing doubles in college, that opportunity, what that did for your game? Because I feel like, you know, most players, if they don't play college tennis, they're just so focused on the singles aspect of everything. That's, you know, you watch the Grand Slam finals the singles finals on ESPN you don't really see the doubles but uh can you talk about you know what avenues were open for you through college doubles yeah I mean uh I really struggled with seeing singles my my senior year of college um and when I was deciding if I wanted to keep playing tennis and play on the tour my main drive to do that was the doubles um so that that's actually why I kept playing and I it, it is you know when you play a futures and you, the draw comes out, and you see two college players. Even if you don't know them, there's that thing in the back of your head, like uh, these guys know what they're doing. Um, the, the doubles in college is a high level, and it's mostly just because they practice it. Uh, you go on the tour, you go to these other countries. The guys aren't really practicing doubles too much, unless they're, you know, quote doubles guys. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, college tennis, were, we worked on doubles quite a bit, and. And it, I mean, the the level of doubles in college tennis is really high. You see the top teams in the NCAAs, they go on and they do really well in futures over the summers or challengers or whatever it is. Yeah, and you know, can, for the level of doubles just on the pro tour, um, I don't. You know, what is the jump like? And, and in singles as well, what is the jump like when you're playing? You know, I, I think you were five and six at UCLA for singles, but you're playing one, two doubles. Is there a significant jump when you make that transition to the pro tour, or did you feel comfortable making that transition right away because of the level you got to play in college? You know, to be honest, the the jump is strictly on ranking and trying to get your name in draws um when you're when you're starting at zero with zero points zero ranking it's hard to get into doubles draws but once you do it's pretty smooth sailing um you know obviously there's there's good teams out there i'm not saying you're going to go and win every match or every tournament but um uh, let's put it this way I, I played two doubles a lot uh at ucla and i first round of futures you're playing most of the time, weaker teams than a Pac-12 number two doubles match, um, you know? No, the, the idea in, in your national indoor final senior year, you played Borna Gojo, Skander Mansuri, and you and Keegan beat them 7-6, and both of those guys are top 400 now, I think, in singles, so I think that's mm-hmm. a testament to that fact. Uh, I know, I, I don't think Mart- Marty and Evan did, I don't think they won the doubles, but, you know, they were they awfully, oh, they did win it your, your yeah, senior we, year, right? Yeah, my senior year, uh, Keegan and I were in the semifinals, and then they were in the semifinals on the opposite side. And they ended up winning um, the whole thing, yeah. That's crazy. Well, tell me about There had to have been some juicy practice matches. I'm sure you guys were beating up on them as much as they beat up on you. Oh, you can ask Marty. He did not want to see us in the final. <laughs> <laughs> he, he did, they did not want to see Keegan and I. Uh, we, we would have had so much fun with that one. But, um, yeah, we, we, had, we had some fun. We had some no. fun for sure. I can imagine we've poked fun at Keegan Smith already, but more interesting personality as a freshman coming in. Marty Redlicky, who can celebrate and yell and do things with the best of them, or Keegan? Oh, man. Uh, they're so different, but 
<laughs> they're they're both clowns in their own way. Let's put it that way. Yeah, um, I love it. Yeah, uh, no, we can leave they're it there. entertaining. They're both great guys, and uh, I love I love spending time with both of them. And they're both unbelievable tennis players as well. So, um, man, yeah, I'm I'm looking I think at really this... highly at both of them. Yeah, and again, I'm not trying to get you into any trouble, but I'm just looking at the roster from your senior year and a team with Marty, with Keegan, with Cressy. That is some vibrant personalities. And I'm curious because I know last year Keegan and Cressy won the NCAA doubles as well. I think Mackie, did he win the doubles or did he make the finals that year he won singles? I don't know. He might have won, won the doubles won. as well with Marty. He won with Marty the year he won singles, so yeah. Yeah. So is it is Billy Martin? Are they just what are you guys doing out there? What what? Why is this factory keep producing out NCAA champions? <laughs> I mean, yeah, Billy's a Billy's a great coach. First of all, um, mm-hmm. and we we work a lot on doubles and where we did in practice. But I mean, Mackie and Marty, um, they're both unbelievable tennis players. They're both good doubles players, good singles players. So um, that you know, you can't really hide good talent and good players um yeah that speaks for for itself yeah the results come all right my last ucla based question for you and this is because i'm just trying to get some background information we are because we have some downtime we want to run back one of our best of the decade topics that we didn't get to do at the time talk about the best college tennis teams the best lineups players of the 2010s and we talked about the ucla team from your senior year of high school but during your time at the program you guys had some really good teams your senior year you make the national indoor finals ncaa semifinals um as well but your sophomore year you guys were pretty nasty as well. I believe that team yeah. went something like twenty-four and two. Um, mm-hmm. You know that team had Mackie at one. You had uh, Gage back in the lineup. You had Marty in the lineup. Carew, Logan, Joe, yourself. Um, your best UCLA team from your time there. That's hard. Um, either my sophomore or my senior season were they were both unbelievable teams. I think the team that we had my senior year was really special. Um, but it wasn't, you know, it, it, we, we had such a talented roster. I think it was, oh, uh, let's see. Um, Marty was one, uh, yeah, Evan, was Evan was Keegan. at two, Keegan, um, Logan. I have it in front of me, Max, Cressy and then go. Hans. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have Cressy playing five, the guy's top 200 in the world right now. Um, crazy. we had, I mean, we had such a, but the thing is we had a special team off the court as well. Um, you know, everyone was really gelling and getting along and the whole thing. Not that the other teams at UCLA didn't, but that team, we really had some serious camaraderie. And I think that most of the national title teams would say that they, you know, they play their best when they're getting along and everything's going well off the court, you know? Yeah, no, that makes it, that gets makes us- it a lot easier to play well when you want to win for the guy next to you. Put it yeah, that way. absolutely. And we can go full circle here because we talked about how much of tennis is mental. And I, I kind of wrote about this at Crack Rackets last week, but you hear that all the time. It's another one of those platitudes of, uh, you know, all these individuals now, all the success they have, they always credit their team or their teammates. That's real, right? If, if it's not working off the court, it doesn't matter how much talent you have. It's just not going to work on the court as well as it could. It's 100% real. Yeah. Um, I think one of the reasons Keegan and I did well as a doubles team my senior year is uh, we wanted to win for each other. You know, um, I wanted to win for him. I wanted him to have that experience as a freshman, and he really wanted to send me off as a senior in a special way. So 
um, yeah, we got through a lot of matches just for really wanting to compete for each other. Um, and that takes a little bit of the pressure off of yourself in a way. Um, when you're playing for someone else, it, it, obviously there's, it's a different pressure, but um, it's fun. It's fun to, to play for someone other than yourself. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, and that speaks to, and I'm sure you've played with a couple of different doubles partners throughout your career, but that chemistry in doubles is almost as important as, important as you know, I can go big down the tee and you can poach, right? It's the same sort of things because you can't work your plays unless you guys know each other's game, right? Yeah, just like I said, wanting to win for your partner is huge. Um, I've, I've played with a lot of guys on the pro tour so far, and I mean, I've found that wanting to win for your partner is one of the most important things it you know it it really it really does matter it doesn't matter how well you gel as far as your game styles or um you know whatever else it might be if if you don't like the guy and i haven't had an experience where i haven't had a bad experience off the court with a partner yet (laughs) but um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah if you if you want to win for your partner it's uh, life is good the tour is not easy so uh, you gotta you gotta make sure you're happy in order to compete mm-hmm. the right way for sure and um you know i, I do want to ask you one last question then we can wrap this up and sorry again for doing that i'm trying not to no problem um, but yeah uh but this is uh I, it would be just male practice if i didn't ask you this obviously the concerns about the coronavirus over the next you know tennis suspended for at least the next six weeks maybe even more um mm-hmm. for you as an athlete because you know for federer for Djokovic, for nadal this doesn't really matter they've got money in the bank it's it's not an issue but for you how does this not only affect you know your travel schedule but your practice schedule you know what do the next six to eight weeks look like for you it's funny you asked that i actually just wrote an article today about that and the effects that the coronavirus is going to have on pro players um so that'll be going live tomorrow morning but Perfect. um so i guess i'll just sum that article up right now i i think <laughs> it's different for everyone um for me personally i'm taking a couple weeks off of training I'm treating it kind of as a second preseason. Uh, preseason, you know, the season ends in November. You take a couple of weeks off, and then you get back into it, taper it back, and then start the year again. So I'm going to try and do that. Take a couple of weeks off of training, teach some lessons, make some money, and then really hit it hard. Maybe three weeks, a three-week block of hard, intense training, and then go from there. Um, but, yeah, like you said, I, the the – craziest part of it is the uncertainty you know they say six weeks but i can't plan that i'm going to be playing april 20th it's just you know in my opinion i just don't see it happening so um you just got to kind of play it by ear stay sharp but you don't want to overtrain. that's for sure i i'm not going to take six weeks in a row to train as hard as i can i you know i'll be hitting tennis by the time i come back in in april and may so um yeah pacing yourself is is a key yeah, I am glad you used the word. I feel like the the biggest problem must be the uncertainty 
and uh, I just can't even imagine what that's like. Um, and I, you know, this is again, I guess, a supplemental question off of that. But uh, do you think if there was a players union on either the ATP or WTA side, that would help with clarity? Because the the point that I keep seeing made, and it's one we've made on our Crack Rackets podcast, tennis players are almost individual contractors. Every decision you make, what tournaments to play, what your practice schedule is going to look like, who your sponsors are, they're all individual. And mm-hmm. do you think if there was the presence of a players union that would provide more clarity moving forward i mean i don't know it's hard i mean i my gut is to say yes but it's hard to say because um you know a guy like me or a guy ranked lower than me we're yeah sure we're playing the same tour as the top 100 guys but we're really not uh we're playing for the same points but we're really not playing the same tournament so that would be a thing that would be a little bit hard to construct. I think you would almost have to have three separate ones. You have to have one with, um, you know, the tour event guys, the one with challenger guys, and then the one with futures guys. Um, I think that would work really well, but I think this coronavirus is going to actually bring to light some, um, some of the issues and some of the flaws in the system, you know, (laughs) I wrote about it in my article. You see a guy like Noah Rubin. He got up to like 125 in the world last year. He's around 220 now. And he's out on Twitter reaching out, hey, I have six weeks off and I'm not able to make any money. Um, You know, is anyone in New York interested in getting some lessons? I find that crazy. Um, Because (laughs) you look at the, and I'm not comparing the ATP to the NBA. Obviously, it's it's a different ball game, but you know you see these nba guys they don't get to play but they get paid um you know in tennis there's no contract unless you're uh for serious money top 50 in the world you know with wilson or with a clothing brand uh there's no guaranteed money we're in even you know showing up and losing you at least get something and right now for these six hopefully not 12 but six to 12 weeks let's call it um there's no paycheck we're basically unemployed, so that that's tough. Yeah, and you said it yourself. I mean, Noah as well, but you said, hey, I'm going to be teaching lessons, doing whatever I can, and I know I've talked to some players still in college who want to make that transition to the pros, and it's like, well, our school closed down the facilities. I can't even hit at the courts at my school, let right. alone go to their weight rooms, and I know the USTA has kept their facilities open for some of their players, but you know, for non-USTA people who are maybe stuck in a country outside of their own or whatever it may mm-hmm. be, there's all of that uncertainty, and I'm glad we got to plug an extra my tennis HQ article right at the end there. I won't. I won't ask you anymore. I will just instead ask our listeners to go check that out and one more time for them. Austin, can you let them know where they can find all of your stuff? Yeah, you can find all the articles at mytennishq.com and then our Instagram mytennishq and our YouTube mytennishq. Awesome. Well, Austin, again, don't be a stranger here. We are very much looking forward to making Technique Tuesday a thing at Crack Rackets, and we're big fans of all the stuff you're doing. So good luck to you over not only these next six weeks, but you know, as you guys continue to make waves uh, in the tennis content industry. All right, Alex. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it, and uh, I'll be talking to you soon. Yeah, of course. Take care, Austin.
Hope you enjoyed my conversation with my Tennis HQ co-founder and former UCLA All-American Austin Rapp. Again, we at Crack Rackets so excited uh, to be collaborating with my Tennis HQ moving forward, introducing our new Technique Tuesday segment because a lot of us are going to have time on our hands and hopefully we can all find a hitting partner who we can go hit outdoors with, still get some exercise in, obviously still appropriately social distance ourselves, follow all the guidelines needed to get these coronavirus spread and get this concern uh, under control. But uh, we really appreciate the fact that, you know, you can work on your swing, you can work on your mechanics, all these different things. If you have a garage, you can hit against the wall or find a wall to hit with just by yourself. And so this is something we're really looking forward to diving into. And again, to check out more of what they are up to, be sure to go check out their website, mytennishq.com. As I mentioned, if we at Cracked Rackets can provide any comfort to anyone over the next six weeks, we'll be doing our job. So that's why we're going to try and continue to crank out the sort of content that you, the listener, have grown so accustomed to from us. I mentioned this in the intro, but we are really excited to launch our new video series at Cracked Rackets called Overserved. It focuses on the unintentional comedy uh, in the game. It's really just a reprieve from all of the stresses of everyday life. Uh, we talk about the funny gifts and, you know, the funny segments, all of these sorts of things that make tennis such an enjoyable sport to follow. And our super producer, Daniel Westoff, has been all over that series, putting in so much hard work. So you're doing him the biggest, you're doing all of us. Please go check that out. You'd be doing him a huge favor on our YouTube channel or on social media, on our website, crackrackets.com, because we think it's going to be a hit and we think you all will enjoy it. And we would love to hear any feedback any of you have moving forward. In terms of the podcast schedule, if you want to hear more about the Coronavirus. We've talked about it with Ben Rothenberg of the New York Times. We talked about it with Matt Jones of Kentucky Sports Radio. Also had a fascinating conversation uh, with John Wertheim of Sports Illustrated of the Beyond the Baseline Tennis Channel analyst as well this past weekend, uh, talking about what the roles of if there were an ATP and WTA player unions, would they have helped uh, all of some of the confusion some of these players faced? I talked about it with Austin. He talked about the uncertainty he faces moving forward. And so that was a really interesting conversation with John. Of course, in terms of our mini break, we're going back into off-season mode. We're going to talk about the biggest storylines uh, that we've seen emerge thus far in 2020, have some really fun guests lined up later in the week. I'm not going to give you a hint. Uh, I'm not going to give you the names, but I promise you all will enjoy them. Notable uh, personalities, not just from the tennis world, but from tennis Twitter as well. So be on the lookout for all of those. And again, we're going to keep cranking out mini breaks every week. We have some really fun stuff planned on the Great Shot podcast as well moving forward and all of these video series as well. So be on the lookout for all of that at our website, crackedrackets.com. On social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, it's at Cracked Rackets. If you're bored, you just want to DM someone in the day, you're like, I can't think about these stresses in my life any day. I need a reprieve. I promise you all, listeners, no one does break from the ordinary. No one can help you procrastinate better than this guy right here. So uh, feel free to DM me as well at Great Shot Pod, and I'll try and get that response to you as soon as possible. I mentioned them earlier, but shout out as always to our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job they continue to do. We are so grateful for their continued hard work, and again, we want to help make you guys uh, make things as easy and stress-free for you as possible. So be on the lookout for all of that content, but 
for my lovely co-host, uh, lovely guest uh, co-host. That's where my head's at. For my lovely guest, my Tennis HQ co-founder and UCLA Doubles All-American Austin Rapp. For our super producers, Max Fleener and Daniel Westoff. And from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We'll see you all next time, folks. Take care and please stay safe.